Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. Oh, you're exactly right, Joe. We work for the man upstairs as you do. You're setting me up quite well. You just gave me an alley-oop. The greatest revolutionary act you can commit right now is to open your mouth and speak the truth. Whether you're an academic or you're a regular guy, we have to be fearless. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach. Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go in to the breach on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, serving the New York City metropolitan area. Please be sure to download the Veritas Catholic Radio Network mobile app so that you can have access to all of our station's content, not just the front line with Joe and Joe. Of course, we'd love it if you give us feedback on the station and our programming, whether it be the Bishop, whether it be the front line with Joe and Joe and all the shows we have. You could go on VeritasCatholic.com, VeritasCatholic.com, and offer your feedback. As I said, it would be greatly appreciated. Um, and also, if you like what Joe and I do, we're also on social media where we do the front line with Joe and Joe uh, commentary show that goes live Sunday nights, 8 o'clock. You could find us at the Frontline, or excuse me, Frontline TV on YouTube, the Frontline TV on YouTube. And if you want to support us, the FrontlineTV.com, the FrontlineTV.com. Now, today, we are very pleased and honored to be welcoming back to the program Robert R. Riley. And we are going to be discussing Robert's book, Making Gay Okay, how rationalizing homosexual behavior is changing everything. If you want to talk about going into the breach, the title su should suggest to you that that is what we are absolutely doing today. Now, for those of you who missed our last interview with Robert Riley, remember it's available on podcast, okay, if you download the Veritas Catholic Na Network Radio mobile app. But I will give uh, Bob a brief introduction. Robert R. Riley is director of the West Minster Institute. In his 25 years of government service, he served as special assistant to the president and as director of the Voice of America. And he was also senior advisor for information strategy to the Secretary of Defense and taught at National Defense University. He attended Georgetown and the Claremont Graduate University, and he has published widely on American politics, morals, foreign policy, and classical music. Um, his other books include, uh, well, we have this one, and we also have Surprised by Beauty, A Listener's Guide to the Recovery of Modern Music, and The Closing of the Muslim Mind, How Intellectual Suicide Created the Modern Islamic Crisis, which, in the near future, uh, Robert will be coming back on the front line with Joe and Joe to discuss that book. But for today, it is Making Gay Okay, How Rationalizing Homosexual Behavior is Changing Everything. Robert R. Riley, welcome back to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe and Joe, thank you. Good to be with you again. You're welcome. And with that, I'm going to hand it over to Joe Resinello. Bob, we're just going to begin with a short prayer. Uh, in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. <clears throat> Remember, O oh, most gracious Virgin Mary, never was it known that anyone who sought your help or sought your intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, we fly into you, a virgin of virgins, our mother. To you we come, before you we stand, sinful and sorrowful. O oh, Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not our petitions, but in your clemency hear and answer us, amen. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Mm -hmm. 
Bob, I think a good place to start is where has this LGBTQ movement, where did it come from? I mean, it came out of nowhere in plain English. I mean, um, and it just conquered America. So I guess like first, where did it come from? And second, how are they so successful? I wish we were so successful as the as Catholics. I mean, as they have been successful. Well, the short form answer, Joe, is that it came from the sexual revolution of the 60s, but it has a history longer than that. Uh, the first time the word homosexual was used uh, was in the late 19th century by a German who created the word specifically uh, for the purpose of legitimizing homosexual behavior. Now, uh, why, by the way, that does not mean that homosexual behavior had never existed before. Uh, the homosexual movement is very fond of pointing to ancient classical Greece and saying, aha, look, they, there, were, there was homosexual behavior there. Indeed there was, but it, 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 they then will not go on to say how it was regarded. But we can get into that later. Let's go to the sexual revolution. And uh, the thing that made the sexual revolution possible was, of course, contraception. And once you divorce sex from diapers, you are beginning a chain of logic, which inevitably takes you through various kinds of promiscuity, uh, through abortion, uh, through the legitimization, morally speaking, of homosexual acts, and even to homosexual so-called marriage and adoption. So it's all of a piece. Talk about a seamless garment. This is one. It's, it's a logical pr progression, which uh, is more or less inevitable once you accept the faulty premise that sex is not ordered to any natural end. I mean, you know, it's funny. All those things you say are the Catholic line. I mean, clearly, it, it, like we're, we're all Catholic and I understand exactly what you're saying, but they took this conversation out of like, like the status quo. You can't even say what you just said in Catholic circles which is insane. Like, and it's not being disrespectful. It's the mere fact that a contraceptive mentality is goes against the natural law. And from it, all these problems stem. And to be honest with you, as you were saying those things, I, I just can imagine some people hearing them and it's become almost like a foreign language, but yet it, it echoes truth. Well, of course, uh, well, I, I, the first thing we need to say, because uh, the rhetorical strategy of the opposing sign is to immediately identify this kind of thinking as Catholic and put us in a little ghetto where we don't have to be paid attention to uh, because this kind of sectarian religious thinking doesn't belong in the public sphere, right? That's That's the way... Catholic thought is sidelined. But what I just said is actually straight out of Aristotle. Hmm. Doesn't have anything to do with Catholicism, though, of course, Catholicism through Thomas Aquinas adapted the Aristotelian logic and metaphysics and uh, formal logic. So 
we, you know, this, this has um, a foundation in reality according to what we are as human beings. Um, the Aristotle begins the politics, for instance, not with a single individual in isolation, not with a monad. It begins with a man and a woman. And guess what? In marriage. Why? because that is the foundation of the political community. First, you have families. Families form villages. Associations of villages form cities. And it's within the city, Aristotle tells us, that man can reach his highest potential. But the bedrock for the existence of anything in that chain is uh, a man and a woman in marriage, and obviously with progeny. Now, what, uh, what, what regulates the sexual behavior of a man and a woman in marriage? Aristotle tells us it's chastity, that marriage is built upon the chaste sexual relations between a husband and a wife. And he is excoriating about infidelity and unchastity. Uh, most people will be very surprised by hearing this, but I'm going to just give you a short snippet of Aristotle so you can get the flavor of the politics here. Quote, for husband or wife to be detected in the commission of adultery at whatever time it may happen, in whatever shape or form, during all the period of their being married and being called husband and wife must be made a matter of disgrace. But to be detected in adultery during the very period of bringing children into the world is a thing to be punished by a stigma of infamy proportionate to such an offense." Unquote. Now, why would Aristotle be so firm in his opposition to infidelity in marriage? The answer is because chastity is the political principle. The chaste relations between the husband and wife are the foundation of family. Family is the foundation of the village and the villages of the city. The political order cannot hold firm unless those relations uh, remain chaste. And so is this something we can just leave back in the classical Greek world? No, we can see the disintegration of our own society because of the violation of this very thing. Uh, serial polygamy and the divorces, remarriage, the casualty of the children who are tossed around between uh, separated or divorced parents, <clears throat> the tremendous disadvantages under which they grow up. One of my daughters teaches in a school uh, in a poor section of Chicago now, and she finds the fifth grade children in that class uh, to, they're close to being traumatized. Most of them are from broken families. Some of them are functionally illiterate. They're incapable of following the simplest directions. She is seeing the casualties of the sexual revolution all these years later, and the victims are the children. 
Mm. Of course, the victims are also our larger society, which is also disintegrating. By the way, once the sexual revolution legitimized um, sexual misbehavior, uh, premarital sex, uh, adultery, infidelity, uh, not far behind that, of course, came pornography. And we know that pornography infuses this society in a flood of titanic proportions. I, I was uh, <clears throat> speaking with one young man, <clears throat> excuse me, who happens to be a uh, Marine Corps officer, and I was puzzling with him over the, why it was a particularly beautiful young lady wasn't snatched up by some enterprising young man. You know, why, why, where, didn't, didn't they, didn't they notice? I mean, the young lady's beauty was startling. Maybe they're afraid of it. He said, no, no, what you don't realize is how damaged young men are today, because almost without exception, uh, they have been caught up in that flood of pornography. I would love, Bob. I, I really want to get into that. That's one Joe and I on the show at the front line with Joe and Joe. If you're just joining us, we're having a great conversation with Robert Riley. Of course, because it's him, we're in the breach, uh, particularly because his book we're discussing is Making Gay Okay, How Rationalizing Homosexual Behavior is Changing Everything. Bob, we really want to get into pornography. The I, I, We just, quite frankly, Joe and I believe people don't realize the dangers of pornography and 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 how we need to confront that. I, I want to pick up on something you said about individualism versus, let's say, the, or the individual being the building block of society and the family being the building block of society. I think that's one of the perversions that we're experiencing in America or, or like the distortions on how society is supposed to be formed. We have this notion of individualism, and I'd love for you also to comment on our distorted notion of what freedom is that in Joe, in my opinion, leads to all this because conservatives in our view seem to fall into the same trap, rugged individualism, the idea that you're free to do whatever you want, which really are, are not right. Am I wrong in my thinking, Bob? Can you comment on that? Well, it's a, it's a complex question, Joe, because uh, there is a kind of rugged individualism that has an honorable place in American history where uh, American pioneers had to fall upon their own uh, abilities to face the hardships that they encountered uh, because there wasn't anything else but their own abilities and sucking it up and going forward. And that, that kind of toughness in the American character was a laudable thing. Here is really the basic problem that we can get into at, at the foundation of this discussion today. Is man ordered by nature or isn't he? Aristotle would say man is ordered by nature. He has a telos or teleological end. Man does not make himself to be man. He, he arrives as man. <clears throat> and there are only certain things he can do that will fulfill his nature, bring it to a state of perfection, and allow him to flourish. And there are other things, <clears throat> excuse me, if he does, that will lead to privation, a distortion of that nature, and even to his destruction. It is the standard of nature, which is the standard of morality, 
Aristotle tells us, <clears throat> and so does Thomas Aquinas, that gives us the signposts of how we ought to behave. And it, those signposts are just as clear in relation to sexual matters as they are uh, in relation to everything else. And if we ignore them, we pay the price of having done so. Now, what you're referring to, Joe, is this radical uh, individualism that is expressed today, which means precisely that man is not subject to the standards of natural law, that he, he doesn't have any inherent end within himself, which is what defines himself uh, as a human being under the, the, the nature of a human being. And that's the kind of freedom. It's kind of a, it's a, it's a they're embracing a sort of nothingness, really, uh, that they think is the foundation of their liberty. Um, ignorance, you see, becomes the foundation of liberty, whereas we know it's knowledge that sets you free. <clears throat> Absolutely. So you're listening to The Frontline with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, Joe Racinello, In the Breach with Robert Riley. <laughs> Excuse me, and we are discussing his book, Making Gay Okay, How Rationalizing Homosexual Behavior is Changing Everything. Joe Resinello. Let's talk a little bit about the LGBTQ lobby. I mean, we, we spoke about it briefly uh, at the beginning of the conversation, but, you know, you live, you know, close to D.C. I live close to New York City. Um, ultimately, every American institution has embraced this lobby. Um, and it is absolutely imperative that you do not go against it. I mean, this is just the way it is right now in America. How did that happen? I mean, like, like again, our country was founded on Judeo-Christian values. Um, and it, is, it's, it boggles my mind how every institution utterly and absolutely embraces this as gospel. How did this happen? Well, they marched through the institutions uh, with this false view of reality. Uh, and one could see it as it was taking place uh, in higher education than in secondary education, certainly in the entertainment world, in movies, in the arts, then in the corporate leadership suites. Uh, and in the government, most especially in the courts. So I didn't particularly want to write the book uh, about which we're speaking today, Making Gay Okay, How Rationalizing Homosexual Behavior is Changing Everything. It wasn't a pleasant task to spend a year of my life wading through uh, some very difficult materials to, to do the book. I'll tell you what incited me to do it. Um, I've served in the US military. Uh, one of my sons is a Marine Corps officer. Uh, as you know, my latest book about which we did a program of America on trial is dedicated to the memory of my uncle who lost his life in World War II. So when I saw Leon Panetta, when he was Secretary of Defense, address the Defense Department on screen in the auditorium at the Defense Department. I was no longer working there, but I could watch it online with a goofy smile, saluting 
all the great contributions of our LGBTQ plus colleagues and how we couldn't possibly do our job of defending the country without them, et cetera, I said, that's it. The, the U.S. military was the last man standing. Uh, this was a sign that uh, the movement was determined to take our military down and enforce this nonsense upon them. And I was finally driven to write the book then. That was the, the straw that broke the camel's back as far as I was concerned. And we have seen that inflicting uh, the U.S. military now. Not, uh, not only uh, are, is their current mission under this president fighting climate change, but it's it's enforcing the LGBTQ standards. I, I still have the draft army training slides of how you're supposed to behave and deal with the issue of some confused soldier who, who now thinks he's a woman, wants to shower with the women, but hasn't surgically, let's say, corrected his self-image by mutilating himself. And uh, how are the women supposed to deal with such an issue as that of a, of a man with his genitalia showering with them? Now, this is so, I mean, you'd think it was a satire by Jonathan Swift even to discuss this, but I've got the, the draft training slides. And it's, there were adults in the Pentagon drawing up this nonsense. And it's, of course, it's demoralizing to the military to have to deal with things like this. You know, none of our prospective enemies, their militaries, do not allow this. The Chinese military doesn't allow this. The Russian military doesn't allow it. But we are willing to sacrifice combat effectiveness or anything else so long as the LGBTQ uh, cause triumphs. And the the absurdity to which this goes, Joe, was, I think, particularly manifest as Kabul was falling to the Taliban. And what was flying at the U.S. Embassy in Kabul? The rainbow flag. The LGBTQ flag. Right. In a piously Muslim country. Which same flag, of course, uh, is proudly displayed at the mission to the Vatican by the U.S. Embassy there. So I'm familiar with these these disorders, and there there really doesn't seem to be any end to them. Uh, you know, let let me get back to the fundamental disorder, if I may. Just take sure, a seat. Please, please, please. Let's get back now to Aristotle's ethics. Aristotle does a very good psychological analysis of what a person does in their mind and in their conscience when they do something that's wrong. As I said, the standards of right and wrong are clearly evident in nature. So the person is going to do something against nature. How do they justify it? They rationalize their misbehavior. They present it as something that is bad. They present that uh, to themselves. Actually, it's something good. And Aristotle makes clear that we're incapable of choosing anything that isn't good or that doesn't appear to us as good. So if you're going to have an affair with someone else's wife, 
well, you've got to sort of say to yourself, he doesn't actually love her. I love her and she loves me. So this is true love and we're excused in this situation. We can uh, uh, engage in this act of infidelity and there's nothing wrong with it. Okay, that's the rationalization that allows the behavior because the, those persons present it to themselves as something good. Now what often happens, one might even say what usually happens in a normal society is that the person after this immoral act uh, comes to their senses. The rebuke of their conscience reminds them that they've just engaged in a great moral evil. How do they recover from this? Well, first of all, by acknowledging that what they did was evil and through some kind of contrition and least of all, uh, by not repeating the behavior. This behavior, by the way, is considered not only against nature, but by being against nature, irrational. Thomas Aquinas, following upon Aristotle, would say, though centuries later, that the, the essence of sin is its irrationality. It goes against the natural norms by which man ought to live. Now, what, however, if someone chooses a life based upon a moral evil as a regular thing. Let's take, let's get into the homosexual lifestyle. But in other words, a very active homosexual not only missteps and engages in an act of sodomy, but determines that he's going to base his life upon that act and other homosexual acts. How, how does he get away with that? Well, he has to so construct an alternate reality uh, to secure his rationalization that this act of sodomy is something good. Uh, okay, let's say he accomplishes that. Just to say the way a professional thief accomplishes a rationalization that accepts uh, a regular life of thievery as something which is good. So too does the homosexual. But what's, what happens, though, if he receives a rebuke to his behavior from other uh, persons in that society? That threatens the rationalization. Mm -hmm. Therefore, the homosexual has to undertake an effort to ensure that that potential rebuke uh, does not take place. How is he going to do that? He's going to engage in a campaign in this case called LGBTQ human rights, the human rights campaign that transforms sodomy into a human right. How do you get other people to accept the fact that it's supposedly a human right? First of all, in the very clever campaign that the homosexual movement undertook, they would never talk about what homosexuals actually do. They never talk actually about the act of sodomy and what it entails because uh, most normal people are repelled when, when they discover what, what that is involved. So they very cleverly perform that old trick. No, look over here. Mm -hmm. And looking over there was we are discriminated against. We are denied our basic human rights. 
uh, simply because of uh, this proclivity or form of behavior in which we habitually engage. And therefore, we need our human rights uh, back. And they succeeded in having this argument uh, embraced. And it was embraced particularly in the courts. Uh, there was no popular movement um, in the state legislatures to legitimize homosexual behavior. However, in the federal courts and in the Supreme Court, there was. Now, in this book, I have as its longest chapter an analysis of these federal and Supreme Court cases through which this was achieved. In a way, it was the most uh, discouraging chapter to write. You would think it would be the one in which we deal with what these repugnant homosexual acts actually are, which I don't get too graphic about for obvious reasons. But it was the fact that the highest court in the land was incapable of coherent logical thought and could arrive upon the decisions in which it did First in Lawrence versus Texas, um, when Justice Anthony Kennedy found uh, homosexual acts to be a constitutional right. Bob, let's leave it there one second so we could take a break. That's a fascinating topic. We want to come back to it. We want to come back to the courts. Unfortunately, though, we do have to, we got to pay the bill. So we'll be right back. Um, if you're just joining us, we are having a fascinating conversation with Robert Riley. He is the author of Making Gay Okay, How Rationalizing Homosexual Behavior is Changing Everything. Bob, real quick, we could, where could uh, our audience members, where could they buy the book? Well, they can buy it at Ignatius Press. If they go to their website, it's available there. Uh, I think it may be on sale there uh, right now. And also, of course, they can go to any online booksellers and Amazon and other such sellers will have it available. All right. And as always, at the front line with Joe and Joe, when we have an author on who wants people to buy his book, don't go to Amazon. Go to Ignatius Press. Listen, stick around. You're at the front line with Joe and Joe. We'll be right back. Listen to all five of our original Veritas shows. Every Wednesday at noon, you can catch Let Me Be Frank, where Bishop Frank Caggiano talks about spirituality, church news, and fun stories from his Brooklyn childhood and his life. You can hear The Frontline with Joe and Joe every Tuesday and Thursday at noon. Their guests include the biggest names in the Catholic world, and Joe and Joe talks to them from the perspective of the everyday Catholic. Thursday nights at 8 o'clock, tune in for the only late-night talk show on Catholic media anywhere. It's Not That Late with Liv Harrison. And at noon on Friday is Restless. It's four millennials talking about, well, life as millennials in today's crazy world. Yes, it's possible to be young and Catholic. Right after that, at 12.30, you can hear the Focus on Veritas, where we put the focus on good works and the good people doing those works. Those are the five Veritas shows, and there's more on the way. Stay up to date at VeritasCatholic.com or on the mobile app.
Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello, and we are way, way, way in the breach because we are speaking with Robert Riley, and we are discussing his book, Making Gay Okay, How Rationalizing Homosexual Behavior is Changing Everything, and that is available at Ignatius Press. We recommend buying the book. Now, Robert, you started to get into the Supreme Court. Just to segue back into it, um, I want you to please continue, but also enlighten our audience because you, you went to root causes earlier in the conversation when it came to going to the root cause of our problems, which is contraception. In our view at, at the front line with Joe and Joe, uh, we think we're correcting saying the root cause of our judicial problem is their entrance into the culture war in the early 1950s with their beginning with their school prayer decision. So I would want you to continue, but also how do we push back against the Supreme Court that just refuses to leave the culture war? That on many of these issues, these things belong to the states, not on abortion, leave abortion aside, but many of these things belong to the states, yet the Supreme Court has dictated, as you alluded to earlier, there was no overwhelming legislative impulse to, 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 to do these things that the Supreme Court decided they were going to do. So we'd also, also ask you to touch on that also. With that, Robert, I know that was a lot, but please, I'll hand it back over to you. Yeah, well, Joe, you're absolutely right. Um, the Chinese say a fish rots from the head, and in this case, the head is the Supreme Court. And let's say the eye and the, the head of the fish was Justice Anthony Kennedy. And if you read his decisions, uh, first in that Lawrence versus Texas case, in which he found sodomy to be a constitutional right, if you can believe that or not, uh, you find uh, an incapacity to, to think logically or clearly uh, you find it again in his decision on uh, Windsor, uh, which uh, allowed for homosexual marriage, and then the Obergefell decision, which really put the nail in the coffin, which again solidified the so-called right to homosexual marriage. Now, why? Why? Because of the, the, the radical autonomy of the individual. All of it is based upon Kennedy's idea that this radical autonomy of the individual is somehow <clears throat> at the foundation of the American founding itself. Now, together, we did a program a little while ago on my book, In Defense of the American Founding, uh, in which we dealt with this errant notion that that's the kind of freedom our founders had in mind. Well, no, it wasn't. It was, it was, it's antithetical to the kind of freedom they had in mind, which was based on the laws of nature and of nature's God. And of course, a, a sodomitical marriage is against both of those, the laws of nature and the laws of God. <laughs> uh, so underlying this is a denial of nature. We will see that that is the the conclusion to which the proponents of the LGBTQ cause have to reach uh, in their rationalization for their behavior. Let me just go down a few more steps on what happens with the rationalization. <clears throat> so they, they construct the campaign by which their cause will be accepted as a form of human rights. And we know how successful they have been uh, in the media, in the entertainment world, in education, in the courts, and so forth. 
But there are still those holdout individuals, for instance, Joe and Joe, who continue to insist on speaking the truth. Well, the tr your truth threatens the rationalization. You know, Napoleon made this wonderful statement once. He said, I must conquer <clears throat> to survive. He understood that his rule was illegitimate because he came to power by a coup d'etat. And the way he legitimized his rule was through successful conquests. So I have to conquest to survive. That's why he never stopped. Uh, and it's what ultimately destroyed him. Well, the, the homosexual movement or the whole LGBT, the alphabet disorder movement, they have to conquer to survive. Why? Because actually reality is still there. Even the most solidly constructed rationalization does not abolish the existence of reality. So their the, the rationalization is always under threat, which is why they always must continue the campaign against that reality. So now we get to the Joe and Joe problem. You two gentlemen are going to insist on telling the truth that this is a fundamental moral disorder and that it must be opposed. So what's going to be done about you? Well, culturally speaking, uh, you'll, you'll be canceled. You can be canceled in your neighborhood. Uh, you can be canceled socially. You can be canceled professionally. But that may not be enough because you may persist in telling the truth. Well, therefore, we need legal enforcement. What you say has to be defined as hate speech. And there must be penalties, uh, which means fines or perhaps even imprisonment. Uh, and that, so we are now in the enforcement phase of this rationalization to make what we say forbidden speech. So th that's, that's sort of the progression of this rationalization and how they have hijacked the courts in order to do it. And in certain cases in very liberal states, for instance, New York, they, they can get the legislatures on board as well. You could get, I'm going to hand this over to Joe Racinello along the lines of what you're saying. If people think it's, it's far-fetched, you could be fined up to $250,000 for uttering a hateful phrase towards another person, particularly if that person is in a protected class. You could be fined up to two. $150,000 in New York City. Don't think what Robert Riley at the front line with Joe and Joe is saying is far-fetched or somewhere down the line. It's already happening in America, and I'm sure it's happening in Canada. Joe Racinello, let's, uh, that was fascinating, Robert Riley, um, and thank you for, for that. That was very in-depth, particularly the rationalization part, because that's the part of the title of the book is rationalizing homosexual behavior and how it's changing everything. Joe Racinello, where do you want to head? What I don't understand about that is this. As a Catholic, as a Jew, even as a Muslim, it's a tenet of the faith that active homosexuality is a sin. Now, you don't have to go to the Gregorian to know that. Everyone in the room knows that if you say, I am Catholic, I profess to be Catholic, this is a sin. Somehow it's trumped. Like that belief system, I work with Orthodox Jews. Every single Orthodox Jew 
no exception, believe the same thing. Yet somehow that is trumped. And it is part of our constitution that says we are free to believe how we wish. And I don't understand that. I don't know how we have come to this point, other than the fact that we have just sidelined God. That's my only like conclusion, that God doesn't matter, that the culture dictates, and that if you somehow are a knuckle-dragging caveman and actually believe in a religion that has existed for 2,000 years, you're wrong. I don't get it. Well, again, let's take it out of the realm of revelation and back into the world of nature. What this uh, uh, is based upon is a, is a denial of the existence of human nature. Now, let, I mean, we can, people always try to bring the conversation down to that. Well, those are your values. These are my values. And I'll say, well, have you ever had any trouble with your eyes? I see you're wearing glasses. Well, well, yes. Well, how did you know you were having trouble with your eyes? <clears throat> well, my vision was blurry. Oh you, oh, you mean you think you should see clearly with your eyes? Well, well, yes. Oh, the purpose of your eyes to see clearly. Yes. Oh, okay. Tell me what you did. Did, did you go to an ophthalmologist? Yes, I did. Well, why would you go to an ophthalmologist? Well, he, he, I think he or she could correct my vision. Well, how would they know how to do that? Well, they've studied the eye. Oh, you mean they know what the eye is for also? They, they, do they think that the purpose of the eye is to see clearly? Well, yes. And so they were able to correct your vision. Yes, they were. Well, welcome to the world of natural law. Your eye has an inbuilt purpose, which is to see. There are objective criteria by which the accuracy which with, with which you can see can be measured. <clears throat> and if possible, uh, your vision can be corrected to, let's call 2020 vision uh, perfection. <clears throat> and that uh, you're, you're, instead of suffering from a privation, which is impaired sight, uh, through glasses or uh, an operation, your eye can be restored. You can flourish in your seeing. Yes, isn't that wonderful? Okay. What about your ear? Oh, we know that's for hearing. I had to tell my children growing up, no, it's not a storage uh, place for lead pencils. Take it out. It's for hearing. If you put lead pencils in there, you might puncture your eardrum, and then you wouldn't be able to hear so well. It's for hearing. And then the nose, you can go through every bodily organ and uh, come with the same certainty concerning the purpose of that part of the body and what it means when that part of the body is flourishing. That is, when it has reached its full potential, when it is in a state of perfection. However, once we get below the waist, people say, well, well what, what, could, what could this possibly be for? Well, we have no idea. Who's to say? Oh, really? Well, we can know with uh, the same exactitude what our sexual organs are for as we could know what our ears are for. And we know those purposes 
inbuilt in the very nature of our sexual powers are generative and unitive. Now, what would we say according to this understanding of the nature of our sexual powers? What, for instance, would be a state of perfection uh, of those powers reaching their full potential? How would we define the relationship in which they would do that? Well, for the man, it would be as a husband and a father. And for the woman, it would be as a wife and a mother. Because in that relationship and with those children, their sexual powers will have reached their perfection in their generative potential, because now children have been produced, and the unitive potential, because the generative potential could not have been fulfilled if the unitive one had not. All right, that's what nature tells us. And that's why Aristotle talks about that relationship between a man and a woman in the politics as he does. Therefore, we can look at misuses, just as my children could misuse their ears by putting pencils in them, we can tell what a misuse of those sexual powers are if they're not used for the purposes uh, which I just described. Now, I would say that sodomy is to sex what blindness is to sight. In other words, it's the, the deprivation of that potential. It's the, uh, the, the misuse of it in such a way that it's, it's no longer, its potential is denied. It's misused. It's mm -hmm. used against the nature of what it's for. Why is that? Because in a homosexual act, by definition, can be neither unitive nor generative. It's physically impossible. Well, is, doesn't that, Robert Riley, go back to what you said earlier about the rejection of nature and the nature of things and the natural law? Is is just basically a direct rebellion against the natural law? But that's how we know this specific act is against the laws of nature. Uh, because it's, it's in, in nature tells us without going to any uh, uh, Catholic teaching or Muslim teaching, this is what how we know in our reason. When uh, Plato talks about this, this is the way he will talk about it. Mm -hmm. um, so that the earliest philosophical thinkers were able to comprehend what is so distorted in a homosexual relationship and how it short circuits the proper use and flourishing of one's sexual powers insofar as one, if they are part of a flourishing human nature. I'm sorry, for one Joe. second, Robert Riley's joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo, Joe Racinello, making gay okay, how rationalizing homosexual behavior is changing everything available at Ignatius Press. Joe Racinello. Because I think this kind of circles it back to how we began the conversation, saying that the sexual revolution uh, basically started this ball rolling because sex, even heterosexual sex, isn't viewed as something to have a child. It's 
frankly, casual. It's for pleasure. And I think the rationalization, again, how society views homosexual acts is you're entitled to pleasure too. Just as I'm entitled to pleasure and I don't want to have a child either. And I think that's what the society has hung its hat on. It's sex is not about children. It's about pleasure. And I'm all about pleasure. And frankly, I'm not here to take that pleasure away from you. Therefore, your action is just as good as mine. It's equal. Love is love. The rest is history. What are your thoughts? That's very good, Joe. You've really hit the nail on the head with that one. Of course, sex is pleasurable, but what we've been just talking about shows that the pleasure of sex has to take place within the context of a marital relationship where neither the unitive nor the generative nature of sex is denied. Now, pleasure is pleasure point of view, excuse me. Uh, that that view is only possible because of contraception. <clears throat> That's when you can uh, demote sex simply to a form of entertainment. You really rob it of its of its solemnity and its dignity in this way. But, and you know, when you ask the question, how is it that the homosexual movement has gained, or how it first gained such broad-based re- support? And when I said it's it's part of the sexual revolution, this is how it was done. As we know, people in the entertainment and news world uh, are not uh, noted for their sexual probity. Hmm. The high level of divorces, affairs, et cetera, et cetera. <clears throat> so they cut the deal this way. I'll support your form of sexual misbehavior if you'll support my form of sexual misbehavior. So someone who is engaged in extramarital relations or premarital sex is most likely not the person who's going to be pointing to a homosexual and saying, oh, sorry, those sodomitical acts are inherently immoral because the homosexual can turn around and say, well, look at what you're doing. By the same standard of nature by which you're judging my ex as immoral, I can be used against you to show your ex are immoral. If not as unnatural as my ex, they're still immoral. Mm-hmm. So the person engaged in uh, the pleasure, you know, it's, it's all about pleasure, uh, doesn't want to see his rationalization threatened any more than the homosexual wants to see his rationalization threatened. And therefore, they reinforce each other in this way. <clears throat> and that's why you have an ever-expanding base of support. When it uh, segues into the <clears throat> transgender movement, you will find unqualified support for this uh, mutilation of the human body uh, by people who wish to pretend they're of a different sex. They're all, they're added to the alphabet of disorders. They have 100% support from the so-called homosexual community. Um, And and that's why. They're self-reinforcing rationalizations for 
sexual misbehavior. Robert Riley joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, Joe Rasinello. How Making Gay Okay is the book, how rationalizing homosexual behavior is changing everything. Robert, let's let's for a second. Um, because again, I'm I'm completely off script because I'm fascinating, fascinated by by the conversation and the direction you took it in. You mentioned the um the march through the institutions earlier. Because one of the things that Joe and I try to do here is we try to enlighten people, you know, by by bringing people like you on to make people aware of what the deeper causes of these things are. You mentioned the long march through the institutions. For those of you out there, we could go into a long-winded description. Just suffice it to say, look up Antonio Gramsci, communist, uh, wanted to take over all the institutions or infiltrate the institutions of society, church, education, media, the whole nine yards. Now, here's my question, Robert Riley. That was a long march through the institutions. Why do we have to wait so long as, let's say, for argument's sake, call it natural law proponents, if you want, not just Roman Catholics. In this culture war that we're fighting, my view is this, if the truth is on our side, why can't we just march their asses right back out of the institution? Why we shouldn't be engaged in a long march out of the institution, showing them the door. We should just show them the door. Now, I know that might sound a little emotional on my part, but where would I be wrong there? And starting with starting with a proper role for the Supreme Court when it comes to who we're electing next time to become president of the United States, who's going to uh, nominate those judges that are going to sit on the courts at all levels. We want them out of the culture war that they decided that they were going to get into. How do we go about marching them out? If that, if I'm making sense there, as far as the way I'm, I'm seeing as part of the solution is getting them out of the culture war. Well, uh, the culture war isn't going to go away. And even if, we've got a better Supreme Court as we do right now with the hopes that uh, the, the worst of the abortion decisions can be reversed because they're the worst uh, constitutional judgments uh, ever made in the history of the United States. Now, uh, those, those could, that, pray God, that will be changed. But you still have a culture suffused in the mentality that considers a conception amongst those who are having premarital or extramarital relations an accident. And why should they be penalized by the accident? Actually, in one of Anthony Kennedy's uh, decisions, he speaks about this, that you can't penalize these people who have formed their way of behavior on the basis of the access to abortion, which the Supreme Court gave them. You see, these, these are not harmless rulings. They form or deform the character of the American people. And it succeeded in doing that, <clears throat> which is why, <clears throat> excuse me, we are to a large extent a degenerate society. <clears throat> and that's not going to be, <clears throat> I'm so sorry, I have a crick in my throat here. Uh, that's not going to be rebuilt just by showing someone the door. It's, it's going to take a long time to recover, and it may take a profound shock to do it. I mean, it, it may take a catastrophe from which I hope we can recover. Mm. Um, and, and, and that would give people the opportunity to take stock and re-examine what the moral foundations of life really are and return to them. Um, and, we and live, Robert, we, 
Go, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Finish your thought, please. We live in a fantasy land in the United States, as I'm sure both of you gentlemen have traveled widely. I have. And when you see other parts of the world, you know that what we have here uh, is it's so truly exceptional. It's wealth beyond the wildest imaginations of most people. And most of the many of the people here who have known nothing but it thinks that think this is the state of nature. Mm. And the fact that we don't have more is someone else's fault. So they're, they're going to have to be jarred back into reality. And Robert that, Riley, we have, yeah, a, right. we, have a, we have about four minutes left. I know Joe Rosinola wants to at least ask one more question. So just keep in mind, guys, we have about four, four and a half minutes left in the show. And I, I want to get also just piggyback on that last conversation. The idea of chastity is completely a foreign concept to both heterosexuals as well as those who feel that they have homosexual tendencies. Chastity, whereby you do not engage in sex, that is a foreign concept. And again, the horse is so far out of the barn. I almost feel silly saying it, Robert. I, honest to goodness, almost feel silly saying it because if you say that to serious quote unquote people, they think you're crazy. Yeah, well, I it's um, yeah, that's how far we that's a good measure of how far we've fallen. Yeah, I think so. But uh, that's and that's why um, I don't think we can just show someone the door and have it reinstituted. I think the precondition for any recovery of this country is is going to have to be a spiritual renewal. Yeah, that's that's the 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 sine qua non. What what in your view, Joe and I talk about this all the time, Robert Riley. Um, given we got about two and a half minutes left, we'd love to know when you say that a shock, a wake up call, whatever you want to call it, is perhaps what we need. What form or forms do you think that wake-up call might take? So basically, we get our, you know, for lack of a better phrase, we wake up in America. What would you think? A war would do it. <laughs> we're in uh, the struggle of our lifetime as we're confronting the burgeoning power of China. Uh, as we know, the, the war in Ukraine could... Uh, easily expand into a Russia-NATO conflagration in which uh, nuclear weapons are used, that would puncture the fantasy world in which we live. That could certainly do it. Um, uh, economic privations of the kind that this country went through during the Great Depression, uh, that would do it. That would Anything that necessitates people rethinking uh, the, fun the moral fundamentals of life and what toward what our life is truly ordered. And what our life is truly ordered toward is the good. And it's a good we can know through our reason. And it's through our reason we know what the proper use of our generative immunitive powers are. And that we have to return our behavior and put it in conformance with our human nature. And we Catholics are lucky enough to have a church that almost by itself today, has preserved these truths. It's the last man standing. And we know from Christ's promise, it will stand till the end of time. And we stand with it. And uh, despite 
the pressures from this conformist uh, degenerate culture in which we live, we are privileged to have the powers of sacramental life, the incomparable powers of the mass, and everything else the church makes available to us so that we can stand fast in this storm. And as Archbishop Fulton Sheen liked to say, the church is keeping the good, the blueprints of what a good society looks like. So when we decide to begin to rebuild, uh, those blueprints will be there. Robert Riley, thank you. We're gonna have to end it there, but that's a great place to end it on Fulton Sheen. Uh, thank you again for, for joining us here. And where can folks buy the book? They can buy it at Ignatius Press website or online booksellers. Just Google in the title of the book or, or my name. All right, excellent. And the book is uh, Making Gay Okay, How Rationalizing Homosexual Behavior is Changing Everything. The author is Robert Riley, who we thank, Joe and I thank the good Lord, has become a friend of our show. Thank you, Robert. We're going to have him back soon to discuss um, one of his other books, The Closing of the Muslim Mind. So uh, thank you all out there for joining us at the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York City metropolitan area. Please be sure to download the Veritas Catholic Radio Network mobile app so that you can have access to all of our station's content. And also please support Joe and I wherever you see us on social media, particularly YouTube at the Frontline TV. The Frontline TV. You could also support us at thefrontlinetv.com, thefrontlinetv.com. And remember, until the next time, that our conversation is your conversation, and that conversation is going on everywhere. We'll talk to you soon.